This is your daily real estate syndication show, and I am your host, Whitney Sewell. Today is a highlight show that's packed with value from different guests around a specific topic. Don't forget to like and subscribe, but also go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up to start investing in real estate today. I hope you enjoy the show. Our guest is Kenny Wolf. Thanks for being on the show, Kenny. Thanks, Whitney. Appreciate it. Yeah, I'm honored to have you on. You're just extremely experienced in this business. And he has 3,576 units across five different states. There's not many people I know who, who have done that and have that many units and, and has been as successful as he has. Uh, he's author of Investing in the Dream. He's a co-host of the Commercial Cash Flow Show on YouTube and Facebook Live. And hopefully we'll hear more about that later in the show. But can you give the listeners a little more about who you are and what you're doing? And let's jump into this recent deal that you purchased. Yeah, sure. So we've been buying multifamily real estate for over eight years now. And it started out here in DFW, Texas, and then quickly branched out to Colorado Springs, Oklahoma City, Columbus, Ohio, and then the various states in between. So we've grown pretty quickly. And it was a great time to get started in real estate. That's part of it. Part of it's also learning the business and and also, we're starting to vertically integrate as well. So I think that's also helped push our unit count up and get us more efficient at being a good operator. Nice. So you're talking about vertically integrating. Elaborate on that a little bit. What does that mean? So about a year ago, I bought into an existing property management company. So Allied Property Management is my own 49% of that. That was a good existing third-party management company we'd used on one of our projects. They're looking to grow. I wanted to, I was frustrated with the other third party management companies and they wouldn't listen to my suggestions. So I figured I would just buy into one at least. So, so anyways, that always helps when you, you get answers a little bit faster. <laughs> anyways, so, so we started doing that and then we're looking to possibly bring in another management company as well from another state that'd get us about 10,000 units under third party. Wow. That, that seems so smart to me. Like instead of starting my own management company, why not buy into one? Like you, I mean, that just seems so smart to me. They've already got systems in place. You've already been working with them. Go ahead. I figured that would be such a big headache to start my own. So why not start with one that, that I really, you really, really like to work with and they were open to growing as well. So it's a much faster way to get that going. Wow. Yeah, I mean, we could have whole conversations, many conversations just about that. But I really right. want to dive into this this deal that you just closed in El Paso. 309 units. It's impressive. Can you give us, you know, at a high level, a little more about the opportunity, about the deal? And then let's dive into some more specifics. Yeah, sure. So kind of the highlights are, this is a property that was a direct sale between myself and the seller. There's no broker involved. So it's nice to, you know, once you get a reputation of someone who can actually close a deal, close a, this is... But a yeah, $13, $14 million purchase on that property. It's a direct purchase between myself and the seller. 309 units. It's eight minutes from our other property we have there. We bought 188 units. I guess that was end of August of last year. So it puts us to about 500 units there in El Paso, which is really going to be great to have them so close because we cross-train maintenance guys, cross-train leasing agents. So it makes it so much smoother of a process for both our first property in the market and also obviously after that as well. Nice. So. Yeah, I guess what type of property, what class, you know, where's some other specifics? It's a 309 units. It was built in 1964. So it's an older property, but it's also made out of cement blocks. So it's not going anywhere. Roof's checked out pretty good. We've got some touch up there, but the seller gave us a credit for that. It's got a huge pool. I mean, the pool's Olympic size. It's a massive. I've never seen one that's big. Partially covered. There's a lot of stuff that, you know, that once we get in there and dress it up, it's going to look really nice, really good looking property after that. But it, I'd say it's a C, maybe a C plus right now. We'll probably take it to a C plus, B minus. 
is about where we can take it. But our basis is pretty good per door. The rehab we've got already kind of lined out. And this asset, actually, we started doing a pre-closed construction meeting, which is pretty cool. So now once we've closed, we can hit the ground running and not wait for a week or two for you know everybody to start getting bids. We were already getting bids before we even closed. And then what, what we can kind of... So you've got... It's off Dyer Street. So Dyer Street is a major thoroughfare through there in El Paso. And a lot of the retail is starting to come back on there. You can see it. So they're like there was a defunct Kmart. They've now redone the exterior. I'm not sure who's moving in, but it sure looks like a Walmart to me from, from what it looks like on the outside. So nice. that's good. Seeing some retail move back into that area. Nice. You cut out just a little bit there just so you in case I ask something you already answered. But why this deal as opposed to probably many others you looked at? And how many did you did you have to look at in this area before you, you found this one? So this, so this asset actually kind of came out of a lunch I had with the seller. I just took him out to lunch and said, hey, if you're interested in selling anything, let me know. And at lunch, he said, no, you know, we're not thinking for sale right now. And then two weeks later, he gives me a call and says, hey, do you want to buy this asset? And so we just kind of worked out a fair price and, and, and went through there. So that, that deal's a little strange, but there's three other deals we will have closed by from, I guess, the week before Christmas to end of April. And those were kind of, quote unquote, off market deals where it's, you know, four or five of us buyers and looking at it before it goes to the full market. Today, we like those deals a lot better than the stuff that's on the market. It gives us kind of a leg up and first look and hopefully a, a discount on the price. And what is the business plan for this specific deal and how long will it take to execute it? We plan to do a cash out refi in about 18 months on the property. So since this is the second asset we bought from the seller, we kind of know what we're getting. On our first asset we bought from him, his market is just his classic unit, so no upgrades. Those units were getting an extra 60 bucks a month more by just doing new carpet in the unit. That's it. And then upgrades are getting an extra 100 bucks on top of that. So we kind of expect that to keep going at this property as well. We only underwrote an extra 30, 35 bucks more for the classic units and then an extra 50 bucks for the upgrades just to be conservative. But because it's so close and in the same kind of part of town, I expect it to have similar results as the first one, maybe a little bit less because it's a little bit low. low. Uh, maybe 5k less median income a year on the demographics, but it's same side of the mountain there in El Paso. Yeah. So a cash out refi at 18 months. What, what, how long do you plan to hold this property? So this will be a longer term hold. So we do a cash out refi and the, our projections were between to getting back investors 40 to 50% of their initial equity back to them. That's a tax deferred deal. So you get that back. Investor can go out and invest that again, hopefully with us or with somebody else is fine too. Get that back and hold it longer term. That's going to be probably another five to seven years and just let it cash flow for us quarterly and let the appreciation and tax shield and all the benefits you get with owning rental real estate. Uh, enjoy those as long as we can. We'll probably sell it around five to seven years after we buy it. Our guest is Mike Simmons. Thanks for being on the show, Mike. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Mike is the producer and host of Just Start Real Estate, one of the top real estate podcasts in the world. About five years ago, Mike exploded his real estate investing businesses, growing it from $1 million in profits in just 12 months. That's incredible, Mike. I know, I know a lot of the listeners, like they have their little ears perked up now, but Mike is a real estate mentor, coach, and partner in Seven Figure Flipping, one of the nation's largest real estate mastermind groups. Note, Mike is not involved in the commercial real estate 
estate business, but his experience can certainly be translated into helping investors and really entrepreneurs in any business, I think. Mike, I'm looking forward to hearing some of the stories, especially you know taking your business to $1 million in 12 months. I know most people would dream about that. And, and you probably dreamed about it for years, but before actually making it happen and getting started. So get us started by just telling us a little more about who you are in case the listeners haven't heard of you. Yeah, sure thing. So I'm a Midwest guy, born and raised in Michigan. I am the son of automotive, an automotive family here in, in Michigan. It's very much automotive driven. And the goal and the mission for me, from my parents' point of view, was to get into a union job that had benefits and a retirement and stay there for 30 or 40 years and kind of scrape away until you can retire at 65 or whatever the case may be. And that was sort of the goal. And I had nobody in my family that was an entrepreneur or supported entrepreneurialism or even knew what that even meant. And so for me, I, I kind of went down that path early in my life, right out of high school. I got a job at a union company. It wasn't automotive, but a union company had my benefits, the whole thing. I'll just say what it was. It doesn't really matter. It's UPS. I got started working for UPS. Parents were thrilled, super secure, right? But I hurt myself. I hurt my back. It's a, it's a physical job, especially when you're, when you're starting out in that company. I was loading trucks. So I hurt my back and realized, okay, I can't stay here. Went into a more automotive, traditional automotive type of a job. Parents are excited. I'm going along thinking everything's great. And then around 2000, if everyone who's, who's in that industry or, or was around back then to know, in 2000, things went kind of bad. We had the tech bubble burst and we had the automotive industry went totally in the tank. And there were a lot of layoffs in my industry. And when that was happening, I kind of looked around and said, I'm not special here. I don't have a college degree. I got into a job right out of high school. And I started thinking about what I wanted to do with my life and how I wanted to ensure that I'm, I'm not one of those folks that get left behind in terms of a job. So I looked into real estate, but it really started as a product of me looking into how I could retire, how I could invest. And I started off stocks and, and stock trading and day trading and all these things like the stock market that I thought was going to be my ticket. I'll invest money, make my money work for me. The problem with, with investing in the stock market is I hated it. I, I wasn't interested. It was boring. I got really bored when I was researching it. And so my, I would wander on the internet into like sports sites and just anything that I could do that wasn't stocks, right? But eventually when you Google investing, you'll, you'll end up on real estate investing if you scroll down far enough, right? So I hit real estate investing and I was like, whoa, this is exciting. And I couldn't get enough. I was voracious. I was just absorbing all the real estate stuff I could. And eventually made my first offer at a house and the first one got accepted and things went really bad. This was like now fast forward a little bit, 2008. So what we're going to talk about probably in a few minutes, I'll, I'll illustrate what happened between like 2003 and 2008 that will kind of shed a little more light on I think what a lot of people do and struggle with. But 2008 made my first offer, got accepted. The bank that I was going to finance through went under. I lost my deposit. It was a big disaster. Four months later, got another accepted offer on a house in the same neighborhood for half the price, okay? So if you're doing the math at home, the lesson here is I would have lost my shirt on the first house because prices started dropping so fast that it was sort of a blessing that I lost that first deal because the house prices got cut in half almost overnight. So did my first deal, made good money. It was, it was kind of proof to my wife, who's a little more conservative than me, that this thing can work. And, and I was off to the races from that point forward. Wow. So, so why did you stay in after the first deal? I mean, why, why go to the first one? Why go to the next one after that one was so bad? Yeah, I could say because I'm tenacious and I, I love, you know, the thrill of the hunt. Really what it was, to be honest with you, my wife and I took a, a weekend 
coaching or mentoring type of a thing. It was $3,000 for the two of us for one weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, a local guru kind of like showed us the ropes. And to be honest with you, when we were done with that, my wife was not going to let us not succeed. Like, she's like, we spent all that money. You are not going to sit on that. Not that I wanted to sit on the couch, but like, she was absolutely like, we're doing this. We spent the money. We will not waste that money. We will do this. And it was great to have that support because we went out there and just went for it. And, and things turned out great. But with, like with a lot of people, if that first deal, if, if we had lost a lot of money, I don't know. It's hard to say. Like, I, I really wanted it bad, but I'm also married and I have a relationship that means a lot to me. And it, it might have not been as easy to convince my wife to keep going if we had lost money in the first deal. Thankfully, we made good money in the first deal. And that was just all the proof she needed. And I just went for it after that. Nice. Okay. But so it was helpful for you, though, to actually to actually bring your spouse to an event like that and them get educated as well. I know that's a common that's a common problem. Like there's one, you know, there's a spouse who just wants nothing to do with it, feels like it's too big of a risk. But there's there's one that really wants to get into it. And and it's difficult, right? If you don't have that support and, and, and if you value that relationship, you're, <laughs> you know, you need to think through that, right? Totally. And, and Whitney, I'll tell you what, I know people that have spouses that are not totally into this real estate investing world and they're not, they're not convinced. And it, it's 10 times harder. I, I won't lie. I had an advantage that my wife was behind all of this and she was into it, but bringing her into the world was what it took. I think some people go, I'm just doing this thing and this is what I want to do. And they don't, they don't invite them in. And it, it's harder when you're looking from the outside at you. How do I get convinced of something if you won't let me be around it? So I, I brought her into, immersed her in the real estate world and, and she was, she was excited. So that made all the difference. So they treat it kind of like it's their own hobby over here on the side, I guess. Some people, instead of yeah, uh, involving their spouse. Yeah. I mean, if you're a golfer and you want your wife to be cool with you golfing, bring her golfing, like bring her into it, right? Or bring him into it. If you enjoy golfing and you have a husband who doesn't want to do it, bring him in. Like if you really want to be able to do it a lot, like make them a part of it, right? So, and she's conservative. So it would have been an impossible sell if she hadn't thought or saw the opportunity. So she did. Nice. Well, I know your specialty is like helping people get started. I mean, in helping them to just make that leap. And it's hard. It's, it's in looking back, it's like the hardest part of it, right? It's getting started. Once you get past that, just a little ways, it's it's so much brighter, right? I mean, and things start to happen and you can make things happen a lot easier than when you got started. But what about for you? You know, how about elaborating a little bit on, and let's just jump into how you help people get started, maybe some of the things that hold them back, even your story to getting to, you know, taking your business to a million dollars within 12 months. All right. I, I will, I'll illustrate the difference between someone who can accelerate their business and someone who isn't accelerating their business. And I, cause I've been both people. So I can sympathize. I do sympathize with folks that have a hard time getting started. I decided in 2003, I wanted, I was interested in real estate. I want to do this. I, I think this is my, my thing, my passion, my calling, whatever. And I didn't buy my first house till 2008. Right. So what happened, Mr. Mr. Just start. What happened? Well, I started researching. I started reading books and I started, I got paralysis analysis. I kept thinking, A, either I don't know enough and I'm concerned that I don't know enough or B, there would be a new book, a new strategy. I would go to a RIA. There would be some speaker. Like I just kept getting this shiny object syndrome and I couldn't decide where or how to start. So for me, it was like paralysis analysis and excuses, excuse, excuse. And the only thing it really was, was honestly, I just 
was afraid to start. So I finally got started and took some action. And frankly, I didn't come from that entrepreneurial family. And that's not necessarily an excuse. It's just a reality. I had no one in my life as an example to just go for it and take life by the horns. And, and I tell my kids all the time, you can choose your life or you, your life can choose itself. It can, it can dictate what's going to happen, right? Or you can dictate. Life rarely makes decisions for you that you don't have any control over that you love. Usually things happen to you when you let them happen to you. But when you take charge, you're in charge, right? So that was number one. I had to take charge. But once I did that, I realized I like taking action. I enjoy implementing things and seeing what happens. I like steering my own boat. I don't like having a captain telling me where I'm going. I like being the captain. So when I started, it was almost like for me, it was like a drug. It was a good drug, but it was like a drug. Having control, knowing what I want to do, implementing it, seeing the results, making you know corrections or course corrections or whatever along the way, and then relaunching the idea. Like I love that. I got addicted to it. And, and so I started taking massive action. Now, how did I get from kind of doing a deal here and there, which is what I was doing for the first handful of years and trying to figure out how to grow? I was having a hard time cracking the code because I was too small to hire. But if I didn't hire, I was going to stay small, right? This whole catch-22 right. logic that I had back then. And, and I'm only one person. So I, there's only so many hours in the day. And I had kids. I had a wife. I had a house. You know, and in the beginning, I had a job. I was kind of doing this on the side. So what does it take? Well, for me, and what I think for a lot of people it takes is getting around other people that are like you. They have the same mindset. And so for me, I joined a mastermind, a real estate mastermind. And I, I'm not saying like a local RIA. I mean like an actual legit mastermind of people who pay to be there, right? So if you pay, you pay attention a lot of times. Things that are free, sometimes people take it for granted. They don't take it seriously. And I can illustrate that point very well in a minute. But so I got involved in the mastermind with folks who were kind of where I was. And some of them were far beyond where I was. And the people who were far beyond where I was, I was able to sit down and, and sort of forensic you know, analysis and deconstruct their, their businesses and say, what did you do that worked? Like you were where I am three years ago. Now you're where I want to be. What happened in that three years? What did you do? And what did you do wrong? What mistakes did you make? And if it took you three years and you can articulate to me what you did in those three years, right and wrong. Imagine if you could live your entire life, Whitney, with hindsight, always with hindsight, right? You're about to make a decision. You could go, five years in the future, see what that decision outcome was, come back and make the appropriate decision. To me, that's what surrounding yourself with the right people can help you do. You get hindsight. You use their hindsight to make decisions in your similar or exact same company. And that's what we did. So I took a gentleman, his name is Andy McFarlane, a great mentor of mine. He was three to four years ahead of me. And I said, dude, tell me what you did. And I'm going to compress that because if I can't beat three or four years, knowing all of the hindsight that you created, shame on me. And I did that and I compressed it. And to be honest with you, that's the basis of the book that I wrote. I, I, people ask me all the time, how did you go from doing a deal or two to doing 12 to 14 as a wholesaler and a, and a house flipper? How did you do that? And I'll tell you what, a little spoiler alert for anyone who's interested, it wasn't software. It wasn't like a specific technique that I did or some interesting way of making offers. Those are strategies that help make you better for sure. But it's way more than that. It's a little more high level. It's hiring. It's creating a team, a culture within the team that you, that you create that makes them want to run through walls for you. And by the way, hiring people that are better than me at specific jobs, I'm okay at a lot of stuff in my business. I'm really good at some things and I'm passable at others. I own the company. I had to realize I'm not the best salesperson 
in my company, nor should I be. It's not my background. It's not my strength. You don't want to be. I don't want to be. I did it and I was competent. But when I brought a person into my, on my team who was an actual salesperson, whoa, I, I just marvel. I said, so that's what a salesperson is because it's not me. And they, they blew it up for me. So having that mindset of, I need to build a team, right? And it doesn't have to be all employees that you're paying. I get it. I hear what people are saying. I don't have the money to hire people. I, I can't do it. Trust me. There are creative ways to bring people onto your team and build a team that helps you grow. And then as you grow, you can bring actual people on that maybe are salaried or commissioned or whatever, but building that team and then creating the systems that allow the team to run. One of the biggest mistakes that people make in, in business, not just our business, but any business. I was in the automotive industry for a long time and I would see the best engineer in the department, the engineering department, the best engineer they had. What do you think they did to that guy? They promoted him. They made him the engineering manager. And then you realize, oh, wow, he's a horrible manager. Great engineer, horrible manager, right? We do the same things in our own business. We create this investing company that's really, really good. And we're doing everything. And we're good at what we do. And we're building this thing. And we're great technicians. And then we start bringing on a team and we elevate ourselves to management. And we realize we can't manage, right? So understanding that there's a step, there's a process there. You're going from being the technician to being the, the visionary, right? For your company. There's a difference. Teaching people how to do what you do and doing it is totally different. So having systems and processes that are repeatable and make sense and having lanes for everyone on your team just creates a really, really good company. And then, you know, I partnered. I have a partner in my business. Do you need a partner to run your business? No, nope. but there's a time and a place for a partner. It's not for everybody. So I get that question constantly. You have a partner, you're successful. I need a partner. No, you don't need a partner. You might need a partner, but not because I have one. So let's talk about it, right? So we talk about that too, because it can be, it can be powerful if it's done right. Thank you for being a loyal listener of the Real Estate Syndication Show. Please subscribe and like the show. Share it with your friends so we can help them as well. Don't forget, go to lifebridgecapital.com where you can sign up and start investing in real estate today. Have a blessed day. 